Good morning. My name is Sue Edwards. I'm one of the practitioners here, and it's my pleasure to do the opening prayer. And so as we just settle ourselves, taking a breath, just recognizing that there is one infinite power, one divine, all-wise, ever-present source of all, whether we call it God, Spirit, the cosmos. It is always for us, and it is in each of us. And so I'm just so grateful to state this truth, that this beautiful power, this love, lives within me and it lives within you. It is what brings us here today to gather in community, in love, in support. This is our demonstration of God's love. Every loving face in this room is a demonstration of God's commitment to be supportive in our lives, to be there for us. And I'm just so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for each person who walked in this door, for each person who has stepped up in service today, for the beautiful music, for the talk we're to hear today, for it's wonderful. This is a beautiful day, and this universe is for us. And we can bring it into our lives by our conscious thinking. We can bring it into our lives remembering that we are peace, joy, love, freedom, abundance. We are because God is, and we are God. And so for this, I am so grateful. I release these words, let them go, know they are the truth. And I ask you to say with me, and so it is. And so it's my great pleasure to introduce our speaker today, our beloved Reverend Tammy Banting. Good morning. Thank you, Sue, for your opening treatment. Sue Edwards, as you know, is a dedicated practitioner here at the Centre, and she serves us in so many ways. And it's my honour to have her set the energy for this morning's service with her lovely opening treatment. Right here, right now, right where I am, I pray. Thank you to Anna Beaumont and this amazing music ministry for their beautiful rendition of one of my favorite songs, and it happens to be the title of my talk this morning. In today's talk, I want to look at ideas around the nature of prayer in world traditions and in our tradition, the essence of prayer, what makes for powerful prayer, and how prayer can literally change our lives. Our world is rich with religious traditions. The variety of beliefs and practices has created a wide array of choices and pathways to enlightenment. In the faith tradition that I was raised in, you prayed on Sunday in pews and throughout the week before you went to bed, on your knees and perhaps with your hands clasped. In the Islamic tradition, there are five prayers each day. Dawn, immediately, afternoon, in the mid-afternoon, at sunset, and at night, respectively. In the Catholic tradition, a prayer is done holding rosary beads. You start by holding the cross as you say the first prayer, then you move your fingers to the large bead across the cross and say another prayer. Next, you move on to the three small beads, then the metal, and continue around the loop until you have said a prayer on each bead contained on the string of rosary beads. 
In Buddhism, the traditional gesture of reverence to the triple gem is to place the palms of both hands together and raise them in front, usually up to the level of the forehead. In order to express deep veneration, a Buddhist may bow or prostrate before the image of the Buddha, members of the Sangha, and the masters of the teaching. There are many traditions and many other ways to pray. These ideas of prayers are held sacred and are to be honored, as prayer is the foundation of most faith traditions. The idea of prayer is taught by the science of mind. Dr. Ernest Holm teaches that unlike an idea of prayer that is predicated on where and when and how, that in fact, whether we realize it or not, we are praying continually. In essence, our thoughts are literally our prayers. We know this is so because creative law, which we know is the spiritual law from which all outward experiences manifest, exists as rightly as the physical law, the law of gravity. We know the law of gravity is always present whether we know about it, agree to it, or believe in it. Creative law works exactly the same whether we know about it, agree to it, or believe in it. It is the power and the force that creates our lives as directed by our thoughts. Some other terms to describe it are the law of cause and effect or the law of karma, or simply what goes around comes around. So in the spirit of what goes around comes around, we may want to look at the goes around. This piece that we are putting into the force of the creative law to the comes around piece is, is what we are manifesting in our outer experience. In the what goes around category that the creative law works upon, I have a story that I would like to share that stands as experiential proof of this very concept. About 12 years ago, uh, my friend Laura and I, who had been friends since junior high school, decided we wanted to do some volunteering together and started to explore some options for fulfilling a volunteer experience. I had planted this seed in the creative law knowing that the right opportunity would eventually show up. One morning, while I was reading the paper, I came across this short article about a couple from Edmonton that had started a very small work in South Africa to help a village that was being decimated by HIV and AIDS. It was at the beginning of the AIDS crisis in South Africa, and children and adults were dying at alarming rates. This particular village in Dewana was also caught between a battle with their own government as to who was responsible for health care in their region. There was no hospital, no doctors, and no medicine. At the time, antiretrovirals that were seeing some success in combating the effects of HIV in the West were not available in South Africa, so the loss of life continued. The charity was Edzamkulu, a name derived from the combination of Edmonton and Amzamkulu River in South Africa. And their mission was to support the many, many orphans whose situation was the result of this disease robbing them of their parents and grandparents. With no resources and no support, the future for these sweet kids looked very bleak. Edzamkulu was looking for volunteers, so I gave them a call. I asked what they would require in their volunteers, and as it stood, they only had one volunteer, and the only prerequisite for volunteers was a willing spirit. I didn't have any particular skills related to health care, but I did have a willing spirit. When Edsam Kulu needed, what Edsam Kulu needed was to get the word out about the need of this village and do fundraising. So we began to raise money and awareness. 
We, in fact, did an amazing fundraiser right here at the centre as we hosted the Mamesa Choir from the Drakensberg region in South Africa. This community responded with such generosity and love, and Mamesa felt so welcomed here and loved by the people of our community. Very early on in my experience with Ed Simkulu, I felt this overwhelming longing to do more than just fundraise. I thought I would really love to go to this small village in Africa and help build the clinic that we had raised funds for. I really wanted to do something that mattered, to go volunteer right in Indiana. The initial feelings that followed were extreme excitement and a feeling of joy in the opportunity to partake in this adventure. I was thrilled that the universe had presented this opportunity to me. In my euphoria about going to South Africa for six weeks to volunteer, I had forgotten one small detail. There were snakes in South Africa. For some reason, some hidden belief lurked in my subconscious, and I was terrified of snakes. I say hidden belief because in my conscious mind, I could not figure this phobia out. I had never even recalled seeing a live snake. In elementary school, I was excused from the science lab for the week as we were hosting a small garter snake in a cage. I just didn't have what it would take to be in the same room as a very, very scary garter snake. I had never come across a snake in the wild or otherwise, but I couldn't even bring myself to look at a picture of a snake and definitely turned away any time I saw one on TV. To watch them move terrified me. Talk about a hidden belief. When friends and family would try to reassure me and say things like, and we've all heard it, they're more afraid of you than you are of them, Or they would say, don't worry, as soon as they feel the vibration of you walking toward them, they'll get out of there fast. You'll likely likely never even catch a glimpse of them. Or my favorite one, it's just a garter snake, it won't bite you. To which I would reply, I don't care if it bites me, just as long as it hops over to do it. It definitely is the slithering part that bothers me. So this little phobia created a real problem if I was going to go to a rural South African village. So I set out to in some way lessen the effect of this fear that was clouding what otherwise would have been an experience of a lifetime. I started small. I ran across a guy holding a fairly small snake at an outdoor market, so I mustered everything I could, every piece of bravery I had, and I walked up to ask if I could touch it. I reached out, and sure enough, it wasn't slimy and slithery. It was kind of smooth and cool feeling. Yeah, I know, I know that's what people said, but I needed to feel it for myself. The next experience of desensitizing this puzzle was getting over the effects of the slithering. So I did what I never thought I would be capable of doing, and I actually went to the Valley Zoo, and I simply forced myself to stand in front of the snake enclosure and just watch the snakes move. First, it was overwhelming. But as I continued to watch, a funny thing happened. Snakes moved, I watched, and I didn't die. It was a good day. The more I watched them, the more my breath regulated and the terror began to dissipate. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't enjoyable, but it did become bearable. So I was ready to go on my volunteering adventure, or so I thought. As I boarded the plane, my joy and excitement started to fade as I started to reflect on being away from my family for six weeks. I was lonesome for them in the first hours on that flight. 
The idea of landing in Johannesburg, South Africa, in a sketchy area of the city, as a woman traveling by herself, my fear started looming large. When I landed, though the beauty of South Africa would eventually become apparent, it was shielded initially from the big, noisy, dirty city, and because of a consciousness of fear within certain communities in Joburg, it seemed to be wrapped in barbed wire everywhere that I looked. Add to that the reality of volunteering in a village battling HIV-AIDS without success and the almost 22 hours of travel, and I was exhausted. And under it all, all of my bravado about conquering my snake phobia was disappearing. The more tired I got, the more apprehensive I became about everything. And snakes took their place in the front of my mind. Couldn't get them out of my head or out of my thoughts. The next day, I was picked up in Joburg, and we began the long drive to Drakensberg region in South Africa and to volunteer quarters. Uh, that were very close to the village of Indiana. It was evening when I arrived, and it was pitch black. I walked into the main house and was happy to see a couple of volunteers that I knew from Edmonton. I was getting a version of a volunteer orientation, a brief one, because I just wanted to go to bed after my long journey. Basic stuff: where the kitchen was, where the library was, where we would meet as a team to strategize. And finally, where the volunteer sleeping quarters were, they were just on the other side of that stand of trees, and you just follow the path. One other small thing: be sure and always have a flashlight because there are night adders. Night adders. That sounds like some kind of snake. Yep. It was a snake, and not your regular type of snake. You know, the ones that are more afraid of you than you are of them, the ones that had, I had been mistakenly assured that would get away as fast as they can when they feel the vibration of you coming. Nope. Night adders curl up and stay completely still and puff itself up, so the big danger is stepping on them. Honestly, I felt total panic. All of the ideas of helping and adventure and once-of-a-lifetime opportunities faded. I was terrified. I could hardly think. How would I get through this? I just wanted to get on the next flight home. As you may have heard me speak about before, and have heard Dr. Patrick speak about, it is not what we want for our life that is showing up. It's what we truly believe about our life that is manifesting. As Ernest Holmes says, we all have beliefs. We've been creating them, forming them, absorbing them, accepting them, and collecting them since we were born. We're aware of some of our beliefs, but not all of them. We get our beliefs from all over, including family and friends, culture, society, the media, the pulpit, understood and misunderstood experiences, truths and lies that we've been told. And truths and lies that we've told ourselves. Our beliefs can add to our life or limit it. They move us forward, hold us back. They narrow, guide, expand, limit, and eliminate our happiness in our lives. Beliefs, true or false, and false beliefs are every bit as strong as the true ones. Beliefs define us, who we are, and how we live. Our consciousness is the sum total of our beliefs. 
As spiritual beings who are unfolding and evolving, beliefs are very important. Through the power of creative law, our beliefs regulate the expression of our potential in our daily lives. It is done unto us as we believe. When we pray, creative law acts on our beliefs. In the Science of Mind, we're taught how spiritual mind treatment, our form of prayer, works. Every moment we get to choose the idea or thought that we want to bring from the invisible to the visible. What thought will we choose? Sometimes it can be very difficult if the situation you find yourself in makes it hard to bring your thoughts back to universal good. But through spiritual practice, meditation, and regular prayer, it prepares us to bring our thoughts back to an idea we want to manifest and away from the ones that we don't. If we want to experience harmony, peace, and joy in our outer world, we must find it in our inner world. We pray for different reasons. Some of us pray as a form of worship or praise, and some of us pray because we love to pray and celebrate life. As students of the science of mind, we don't pray to a God outside of ourselves. We don't beg, plead, beseech, or bargain because we know that the outer God and the innermost God are the same God. We are God. Everything already exists and we pray for it to be revealed. Nothing to add, nothing to take away, just simply revealed. It is called affirmative prayer because it is life-affirming. The deeper belief in this truth, the stronger the prayer. Spiritual mind treatment or affirmative prayer, two different names for the same thing, is a specific way that we pray. We want to pray in the present tense, at this moment, as this moment is our only moment. We don't pray for something that we expect later. We know that it is done unto us right now. I love this coaching from Ernest Holmes. He says, Feel the prayer. What does conviction about what you are praying for feel like? Faith has a feeling tone. Abundance has a feeling tone. Love has a feeling tone. Feel your prayer. Keep feeling it after the prayer is spoken. Be your prayer. Feel it. As I explained to my students during classes, there is an easy and undeniable litmus test to know if what you are praying for is the highest and best. If the feeling tone is expanding you, energizing you, comforting you, exciting you, bringing you joy, then it is the thing to pray for and to pray from. If the words or ideas you are praying for and about are closing you down, making you unhappy, frightening you, or making you unsure, you simply need to reframe them. In its simplest form, spiritual mind treatment does not need to be detailed. The language does not need to be flowery, descriptive, or elaborate. Going in this direction, in fact, can cause us to get lost in our words, and the specific results we are looking to reveal can become cloudy or confusing. We want to pray with words that the universe can say a resounding yes to. As practitioners, we are taught to pray for the quality of God that people we are praying for are longing for. Qualities of God include ideas of abundance, perfect health, connection to the divine, loving relationship, peace, and joy. I can tell you from doing years of practitioner work, every situation, no matter how detailed, has an underlying longing for a quality of God to be revealed. 
When the story is about finances and lack of resources, the God qualities are abundance and prosperity. When the situation is chaos in the home or at work or in relationship, the God qualities are peace and clarity and loving relationship. When they are about ill health, the God qualities are perfect health and loving and honoring our body temple. I'm so grateful for this aspect of spiritual mind treatment as I really don't have to judge who or what within the story is wrong or right or needs to be changed. Because as Dr. Patrick often explains, it is just a story that we have made up about our situation in life. I simply need to hold the quality of God that the person I am praying for is longing to reveal. Once the God quality has been revealed, I can feel the relief wash over the person I am praying for as if to say, yes, yes, that is my longing. As practitioners, our job is to plant the seed, not to outline the outcome or manipulate the result. It is the universe's great pleasure to conspire to bring the quality of God to us in a way we could not imagine, knowing that the highest and best is always in action. And this holds true for us as we engage in our own prayers. Simply ask for the God quality to be revealed. We want our treatment to be simple, direct, and a sincere statement of the good that we desire. We want to eliminate any negative elements from our prayer and keep our statements in prayer positive and affirmative. Again, a great litmus paper test for this is because the universe can only see us, it's just ensuring that everything said in prayer is something we want the universe to say yes to. Don't include what we don't want to show up in our life experience, only stating what we do want. Because clarity of thought and healthiness of emotion are most essential for effective prayer, we want to pray from that centered space that resides in all of us. As Dr. Holmes explains the question, how will we know when we have been able to do this? Very easily. It is when the tangible evidence of our affirmative prayer unfolds in our daily experience. Then we will know we are on the right pathway into a future which will bring us a fuller life. As a minister and a teacher, I am often asked by students and folk I pray for, why is it what I'm praying for is not showing up in my experience? And that brings us back to right here, right now, right where I am, I pray. As we talked about in the beginning of this talk, our prayers don't only happen while our heads are bowed, in pews or holding beads, and also not just while we are doing affirmative prayer. In reality, our thoughts are our prayers. So as Emmett Fox notes, we may be sabotaging our prayers by saying one thing and doing another. The person who treats for prosperity then is greedy or stingy with his friends and neighbors is certainly not in alignment with spirit and divine abundance. It is not good enough for us to recognize that the qualities we want to manifest are those of God. We must also experience them in ourselves. If we want to experience more love in our life, plant the seed in prayer and then be more loving. We can't ask for love and then treat people in an unloving way. If you want to experience prosperity in your life, then simply be more generous. Don't hold tightly to your money and resources while asking the universe to be generous in your life. 
as that is saying loud and clear to the universe that your belief is in lack, not in prosperity. Lack becomes your prayer. Again, Ernest Holmes says, belief is the power that births the prayer, feeds the prayer, and maintains the prayer. To permanently change our life, our conviction must be ongoing. We need to examine our everyday belief, not just those expressed in prayer. We tend to look at prayers as an isolated activity, a tool, a quick fix, or an emergency maneuver. We think it's something we do one time and it's done. That's not how life works. Prayer doesn't end with, and so it is, or amen. Our ongoing beliefs, conscious and unconscious thought, word and deed, continuously create new beliefs and are acted on by the creative law. A final aspect of prayer is to be gentle with ourselves. If an old belief, doubt or fear surfaces and shows up in our outer experience, don't judge ourselves. Healing limiting ideas is a process. It took time to build those beliefs, and it may take time to dissolve them. I love this quote by Ernest Holmes. Someone has said that the entire world is suffering from one big fear, the fear that God will not answer our prayers. Let us analyze the fears that possess us and see if this is true. The fear of lack is nothing more than the belief that God does not and will not supply us with all that we need. The fear of death is the belief that the promises of eternal life may not be true. The fear of loss of health, loss of friends, loss of property all arise from the belief that God is not all that we claim, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Are you wondering what ended up happening to me in South Africa? Well, I did make it through that strand of trees that night without stepping on one night adder. But the idea of a snake-infested South Africa became my total focus. I couldn't concentrate and was having a hard time sleeping. Everywhere I looked, I seemed to see a snake, the garden hose, a stick, even a six-foot-tall man walking through a door suddenly started to look like a snake to me. At night, I would wake up and look under my bed over and over. I was exhausted. And in the village, the little boys had got wind that I was no lover of snakes, and they would run by me yelling, Im yoga, im yoga, which is Zulu for snake. And they would laugh like crazy when I would bolt. Clearly, my prayer, dear God, please don't let me see a snake, please don't let me see a snake, wasn't working. My thought, which was my prayer, was snakes and terror, and the universe said yes to both. Sometimes we treat for things that are so removed from our present situation, even though we want them, we really can't believe we can have them. I realized I was treating for something at some level I didn't believe I could truly have, and that was a snake-free zone in South Africa. When I got quiet and meditated on it and really thought about it, what I really wanted was to be okay when I did see a snake. I wanted to be the person that said, hey, snakes are more afraid of you than you are of them. <laughs> Under all of this snake chaos was a longing for the God's qualities of calm and peace in every situation. So that is what my prayer became. I didn't need to change the snakes. I needed to find a higher expression for myself. 
This changed everything for me, the simple knowing that I would have everything I need should I encounter a snake. As it turns out, all of those six, six weeks I was in South Africa, I never did see a night adder. Funny how that works. But on, the very, on a very hot afternoon near the end of the trip, I had just come back from working on the clinic and was relaxing in the volunteer quarters when I heard Booty, our little Jack Russell that lived with us, barking like crazy in the yard. Though Booty often barked, this bark sounded different, so I went outside to see what was going on. <sighs> and there on the edge of the grass was a ring-tailed cobra, reared up and hissing right at Booty's face. Ring-tailed cobras spit venom into the eyes of their intended prey to temporarily blind them so they can kill them. And then it happened. Miss, I can't even look at snake pictures, so terrified and overcome by fear, calmly walked over to distract Booty and call him away from the snake. Booty, now out of harm's way, I just stood there. And yes, I watched that cobra slither right back into the grass and look at me. I've lived to tell the tale. Calm, and peaceful in every situation, my highest and my best. As I come to the end of my talk today, I invite you to weave affirmative prayer into your life and build a consciousness of life-affirming beliefs. As we are taught in Science of Mind, live the God qualities you desire in your life. Live in alignment with God and not in contradiction. Watch your faith expand and your fear and doubt subside. Life is love, beauty, and wisdom, as well as energy and imagination. You will be able to use its power in exact proportion as you embody its presence. The one who will heal hate must first learn to love. The one who would live a beautiful life must commune with the beauty. The one who would give happiness must first become happy. The one who would heal a sense of loss must first have arrived at an inner realization of wholeness. Believe in your own good, right here and right now. Choose excitement, wonderment, and joyous expectation. It's your life. Choose light. And so it is. <laughs>